The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the host, guest, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or the Webster Rockville Ministries, its management, or other host or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented on KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. This is Amanda LaPlante, you're listening to Get Real to Heal on KWRH 92.9 FM. So if you're a regular listener, you know that over the last 20 or so years, I did battle with multiple chronic health issues, mental and physical. And one of those issues you may not know was rheumatic fever with Sydenham's chorea. Now, this is a big, rare, and weird disease that is caused by a microbe, um, specifically a bacteria, strep, which is very common but affects people in different ways. And my reaction to it was extraordinarily severe and took many years to treat and get into remission. Um, So I have a particular interest in particulates. And I'm very excited to have with me today in the midst of this this COVID pandemic and all of the questions that we have and the curiosities and just trying to sort through that and figure it out. How do we stay healthy? What do we do? What's going on? I'm lucky to have Leah Amir, MSMHA. She's the CEO of Vantage Links and the executive director of the Institute for Quality Resource Management. And you have, Leah, welcome to the show, first off. Thank you very much. I'm real happy to be here this afternoon. Well, I appreciate you being here. And I know I have a lot of followers and a lot of listeners who are very curious about the topic of COVID and and, uh, various different aspects, which we'll get into today. But first, I want to start by talking about who you are and your background. You have one of the most impressive bios that has come across my desk in 116 interviews. (laughs) And um, so I will, rather than trying to sum up all of the amazing things that you've done as an expert microbiologist and a healthcare economist, would you share your background with our listeners? Sure. Uh, I think that, you know, the beginning of my background really starts with an intense curiosity for finding out the what, wins and why. And it sounds like that's a lot of what motivates you as well. So uh, I have a knack for science. Um, I was a microbiologist and taught microbiology at the University of Missouri-St. Louis and other universities in St. Louis. Have written many microbiology lab manuals and then went on to be a microbiologist in industry, specifically with Mel and Crop Medical, to run the microbial labs and manage the um, uh, testing of all in-process and finished goods manufactured in the plants, not only in St. Louis, but in other parts of the country. So in doing so, I not only tested samples of aliquots of products that might have come from a production line, but if anything were to be found, or from time to time, we also had to do environmental testing. So I am extremely familiar with the process of infection, tracking infection, figuring out what the causative agent was. And then, um, you know, kind of fast forward, I've done a lot of research over the years, and one day I just thought, you know what, I don't think the insurance companies are paying for our most medically necessary procedures. So I went to Washington School of Medicine, got a degree in healthcare administration, and ever since the mid-90s, I've been doing outcomes analysis and outcomes research on new medical products and devices, that includes drugs and devices, working to get them through the regulatory and reimbursement process. So it's just heavy science, heavy economics with a huge emphasis on let's do what's right at the right time. And I love the emphasis on let's do what's right at the right time. And in my own health journey, 
you know, it's been a multitude of, of approaches that has really brought me back to homeostasis. It's not just, um, you know, with having the, that particular illness, I was on long-term antibiotic treatment, injections of bicillin once a month for about five years. Um, at one point in time, thought that I was uh, bigger and better than that, maybe could go at my own without the antibiotics, went off of it and learned otherwise very in a very hard way. Um, whereas some of my other autoimmune diseases have been very effectively treated with diet and lifestyle modica- modification and nutrient depletion, you know, d- addressing that, lots of different um, layers to that. But so I, I really love the idea of, you know, taking the right approach at the right time. And there are there are conventional medical followers who listen to, you know, listen into the show. And there are holistic practitioners that listen to the show. And one of my, my big dreams and wishes is for all of us to come together and find common ground in every possible way. So that said, I want to get into the way that you see the world through your lens as a microbiologist. It must be very different than the way that many others do. (laughs) That's correct. Um, I think, uh, you know, the first thing a person might say is sometimes at a party they don't think I'm so much fun, and meaning I'm not necessarily willing to hug and, you know, just touch people. And, you know, it's not an OC problem. It's just that over the years I know what is existing in various parts of the body, hands, you name it. And so I, I'm not standoffish at all. I'm quite friendly. However, there are boundaries that I think are appropriate, and that's where I like to just keep my life. Uh, Right now, interestingly, most everyone is being thrown into the world I'm comfortable with. So, uh, you know, social distancing, I'm not used to six feet necessarily, but I'm certainly, you know, my border might be three feet. Uh, You know, I've often thought that I should teach a class on microbiology 101 for people just keeping their house. And, you know, we're all kind of used to the fact that we have what we call the flu season or when the children get the sniffles where they're getting that because germs are being transferred and that germ is either a virus or a bacterium or it's gone from individual to individual. And um, I'm just one of those people that likes to reduce the incidence of disease I get. You know, and and first off, I I have to just say when you said the person at a party, I I immediately pictured, was it George Costanza on Seinfeld? And you dipped that chip and then you dipped again, you know, like that kind of thing. And uh, of course, the close talker episodes, those are always good, too. I I have some family members that are close talkers. God love them. This has been a tough time for them. So it's, it's an interesting shift in perspective, though, right? So as someone who went through a very serious life threatening illness that was related to a bacteria, I'm familiar with with the world that you live in and the lens that you're seeing it through. I just don't know all of the scientific details in quite in quite the uh, extent that you do. But all right, so you've got this approach to the way you keep your home, the way that you protect yourself ordinarily. Now we've got this COVID pandemic, and you're going out into the world and you know trying to do things like maybe visit a farmer's market or go to a grocery store. And what are the thoughts that are going through your head these days? How are you protecting yourself, and what do we need to know? Right. So the one thing I definitely think is appropriate, and this is almost going back to the days when we're working in the micro lab and we're working with pathogens, and this is definitely a pathogen. You know, the COVID-19 virus, the SARS, uh, COVID-2, whatever we want to call it, we see that it's significantly contagious, and it uh, definitely has the ability to kill people. Maybe those with underlying conditions are more likely to die than others. However, I know enough healthcare workers that have told me sometimes for some patients there's just not a lot we can do, and I think we're learning that. 
So I take this very seriously, just as if I would, you know, when I was working with Salmonella typhosa or any of the other, you know, clubs, the yellow pneumonia, whatever I was identifying and had to work with. So when I go out, I, I happen to have an N95 mask that I bought and kept in a package. I bought it a couple years ago because when I was traveling back and forth to California, it was recommended that we have those because of the fires were causing so much particulates in the air. So fortunately, I had my N95. And then I typically do keep gloves around. It's a one-time use. Uh, some are sterile. Some are just disposable gloves. I take those with me, and when I wear them, I put them on as soon as I'm going to get out of my car because I Lysol down my car before every time I get in and get out. And so uh, when I'm ready to get out of the car and go to a shopping center or whatever, go to the farmer's market, I put the gloves on. And then I also have kind of like a trench coat that I've been wearing that I put over myself to cover me as if I were wearing a lab coat in a, in a laboratory. So that's how I go in. I just basically try to keep my space, keep it six feet away from others. If it looks like a person's going to come close to the tomato bin or whatever I might be going for, I try to keep an eye on them to make sure I can maintain my distance because I really believe social distancing and that, that whole idea of prevention is one of the best things we can do right now. Um, I really don't talk to people when I'm out. I just want to get in, get my products, whatever it is, and get out. I have seen in some of the farmer's markets, some of the more open, casual places where I think people are very comfortable without wearing a mask. They're not doing much to control what they're touching and, you know, picking up something and then putting it back down. I keep my eye on those kinds of things. And then when I get home, I do uh, clean all the vegetables or whatever it is I've bought. Um, if there's something that can stay in my garage for maybe three days, it'll stay out there before I put it in a in a other storage space. Okay, so so you are a microbiologist. You're you're an expert in this area, and you are taking some very serious precautions. Correct. Okay. So what do you have to say about, you know, I, I again, I follow both sides online uh, of, of really both ends of the spectrum, I should say, not sides, you know, all the way across. And I'm seeing so many conflicting pieces of information and conflicting approaches to to the way people are handling this. Um, so so I guess two points I want to drive home here. Um, COVID is real. Very. This isn't made up. This is real. This is no. really happening. You and I both have friends and, and very, my best friend is an ER doctor in California. She is one of the most, she has nerves of steel, um, you know, worked in on the south side of Chicago in the knife and gun club, as she calls it, and nothing shakes her. Um, she's right. dealt with um, uh, MRSA, is it? The, you know, the resistant bacteria. Right. She's dealt with all kinds of things, not shaken. Uh, conversation with her after dealing with COVID for a few weeks, she had taken a long drive and had a good two hour cry. I, I, this, this is real. And I want to drive that home. So if anyone's watching here, and I'm going to get a lot of flaming, I'm going to, I'm going to get a lot of negative comments. And I know that. Um, But again, as someone who has lived through a life threatening illness that was caused by a bacteria, particulates are of particular interest to me. So right. So, you know, as far as just being out in an outdoor space, though, I can understand where people are, are like, okay, do I really need a mask? I'm outdoors. Um, you know, even myself, I have, I have a, a gathering coming up for my 40th birthday, really went back and forth about whether or not to have it. But um, we're doing picnic blankets in the backyard. Everyone keep their distance. We all have our spot. Um, yeah, how worried should we be? What is the proximity that we should be keeping? And, and 
when we're outdoors? Well, good question. Actually, I took a walk this morning um, in my neighborhood, the area where I live. Um, Up until this week when things opened, so to speak, we could take a walk and there was no one around for miles. So I felt comfortable and I I wasn't worried. I didn't wear a mask in those cases because I wasn't going to come in contact with anyone else because we wear the mask to protect others more than ourselves. However, today I saw a few more people, but no one came within quarter of a mile to me. So I was very comfortable with that. Uh, In a social gathering, in my mind, the few things I'm going to look at is I'm going to ask, is it a windy day? Which way is the wind blowing? Is anyone talking loudly? Um, I think that now we're all actually paying attention to when we talk or when we cough, we actually are projecting particulates. Now I'm not the only one saying it. (laughs) Others realize it. So you... um, you know, you do you do your social distancing, and if it, you know, hopefully it won't be a windy day. If it really is a windy day, you got to think about which way the wind's blowing. And um, I guess I'm overly cautious, perhaps, but I find I don't talk a lot either. <laughs> you know, I just, um, you know, until we know more about, you know, certainly I think a vaccine's a ways off, and and, and you know the testing right now is even so uncertain that I'd just rather prevent. I mean, this is one time where prevention is absolutely worth millions. So prevention is key. And, and you know, I, I like some of the things you said there. And I think my, my goal is always to try and take a balanced approach, right? You know, I have to still get out and live my life. Um, you know, I don't want to let it pass me by. And certainly I don't want my freedoms taken away. Those are important. Um, but it's not, it's not just about me right now. So when I'm wearing a mask, I'm, I'm not just protecting myself. I'm protecting other people from what I might not know that I have. Um, Absolutely. Right. And, and I think the other thing is, um, you know, I have, I have a very strong feeling about this, but, um, you know, there's no judgment, right? I, 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 I want to make sure that people know if they're listening to me and they're like, wow, Amanda just made a really firm statement there. You know, I'm not judging anyone for the way that they feel or or don't feel. I just want to make sure that we're getting to the facts and that people are making an educated decision and not just an an emotional reaction because so many of us live in that zone um, right now because we are on such a we're we're in such a a heightened state. And, you know, so we need to be making decisions rationally and based on the facts and not just based on our emotions. Right, right, right. That's really hard, uh, particularly when people think or there's been an association that you're taking away my liberties. Um, first of all, liberty is something, even as a child, I used to ponder, where does mine end and the other one start? Where, where does liberty exist? And um, I, I think this is really a time when we have to stop and ask ourselves, do I really want to be my brother's keeper? And if you really want to help others, you do what you can to stop the spread. And I know that's a phrase we're probably all really tired of hearing, but it really is the one that works. And, and I'm, I'm just going to take this to when school starts and everyone knows the kids get sick. It's like, you know, they're going to come home with a little sniffles or, you know, trips to the pediatrician's office go up. We're used to that. This is somewhat similar, only the outcome is way, way worse. I've seen CT exams of what the lungs look like in people that get this. Um, I have uh, seen many of the medical reports. I have not been in a hospital setting to see what these patients look like. And I often, when there's a new procedure or disease or something, it's not uncommon for me to go and be part of a, a team dealing with those patients because I'm actually tracking what's being done because I might turn around and now ask a insurance company to reimburse correctly. So um, 
I, I've seen this, and what's most impressive is the lungs are being destroyed. It, it's quite amazing what this virus is doing just from a tissue degradation perspective. And the other thing that seems to be real is everyone reacts very differently. I know doctors that call it his COVID response and this person's COVID response. And I don't think there's enough coordination of testing to know, do we have three to four strains? I know doctors that believe there are strains. So there's so much to know. And, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, this is literally research and science happening. I call it on the firing line when they're trying to take care of patients at the same time. Right now, science doesn't have the luxury to say, okay, we're going to enroll these patients. This is going to be our control population, and this is the, the few criteria we're going to measure. They don't have that opportunity right now. So, you know, if, if a person's uncertain, is it real or not, the answer is without question it is, and, and the death numbers are not created. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't in any way a hoax to anyone. And if a person gets it, I mean, we, if you just look at the data for the state of Missouri, it will point out to you the number of people at different ages who've had it, who's recovered, and who's died. And I think any age has got the probability of getting it. The question is who's going to react the worst. And I know individuals who would look like the picture of health, young men in their 30s, early 40s. I mean, we're talking workout, look amazing. And some of them were some of the first to get it because they didn't have any concern at all. And it hit them hard. I mean, they even said that the fever and the chills and the shaking of the body and the body aches were worse that they've ever experienced. Okay. Yeah. All right. So with regard to uh, your company and some other companies in the region, I know a lot of people were wondering, you know, what role does St. Louis play? We're, we're in the heart of an area, you know, with Washington University and so many other wonderful um, organizations that are on the, the forefront of healthcare. You know, what, what's being done here in St. Louis locally to try and help with the pandemic? Well, the only thing I'm specifically aware of is the clinical trial. I believe uh, St. Louis University is doing a little bit on the remdesivir analysis of patients. And then I know Washington University is involved in a hydroxyquinolone as well as chloroquinolone and maybe an antibiotic combination. They're looking at that. And I, I think it's pretty close as you can get to a controlled clinical trial that they're doing right now. Um, They're one of a number of hospitals involved in that. I know I've heard, I'm not that certain, but I've heard that Christian Northeast has been slammed with volumes of patients. And from what I gather from the doctors that are on the front lines here in the area, they feel that we still haven't hit the peak in the area in, in Missouri. So... Uh, I also know that we don't have a lot of ICU beds in St. Louis. That's a, a bit of a problem. So, you know, the hope is that people are, again, just being careful, um, taking precautions, taking precautions not just for themselves but for other people that are around them. And uh, I guess what I, what I also want to drive home as an integrative health professional and you know, a health coach, not a doctor, not a dietitian, et cetera, et cetera, not making any claims, just a person who has gotten through some crazy, ridiculous <laughs> medical issues and now works with some brilliant people that I learn from every day. Um, you know, eat well, make sure your vitamin D is okay, take care of your immune system, manage your stress, do everything that you possibly can so that you can build your resilience. Um, right. You know, right. That's really important. Um, the other thing that, that, that is being reported in the published literature and individuals have spoken about is everyone's recovery can be so different. And uh, I know people that have 
they became ill in mid-March, and they're not back to their normal yet. They will talk about shortness of breath, continued shortness of breath. And I know that a lot of the doctors that have been reviewing the outcome of some patients, they're really not sure what the longer-term effects are going to be. So at a minimum, just trying to, you know, prevent this illness from coming upon you as best we can, it's a little bit to do, but it's the one thing that might give you the best outcome. Absolutely. All right. So there's also a lot of uh, testing that's starting to be offered, right? Antibody testing that's out there. And I don't know a ton about this area. I know there are some doctors in the area that are offering it and um, they're charging $150 to $200 to have the test run. I saw your eyebrows raise there. My eyebrows raise about it too. So I wanted to know, um, what are your thoughts on this testing, the efficacy, and is is it good for anything? Like what, what do we need to know about this? And are people being overcharged? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, we actually have developed some diagnostic tests. I've done a lot of research over the years on uh, various types of diagnostic tests and what use they are. And if you get a test and you do not combine that test with the clinical signs and symptoms observed by a physician who understands what they're looking at, that test is almost useless. So I'm going to kind of start there. And then when we talk about antibodies, you know, depending on the test they have, is it even an accurate test, which I, my bet is on average, no, they're not accurate. I would say that if I think the false negative rates have been reported to be around 30 to 40 percent. So that means even if it's an antibody, okay, and when they look at antibodies, they're looking at something called IgM and IgG. Most tests don't measure both. They should be measuring both. So what they're measuring is actually a question, was your body exposed to the COVID-19 virus, did you, did you produce an antibody? It doesn't mean that the antibody, if the antibody is going to give you any immunity. It's just asking a question, did your IgM or IgG go up? So first, we definitely need a better test, and even in the antibody world, we're not where we need to be. And then some of the tests, if it's a viral test, that's asking the question, do you have any virus? And if you even, whatever that test is, whether it's positive or negative, if you're asymptomatic, that's even worse information. <laughs> So if I, you know, I personally haven't gone out to have any tests. I contacted one of my doctor friends early on, and because I travel a lot and I'd actually been traveling quite a bit, um, I was not feeling well one day. I had some of the most minor type of symptoms. I'm a little of a worrier, I'll admit that. And he said, no, Leah, I think you're perfectly fine and without symptoms. I don't want to give you a test because I don't want to get a result that I don't know what I'm going to do with. So that, and then as far as overcharging in the hundreds, I know what it costs to make some of these tests, and um, I'd say that sounds pretty exorbitant. And I do believe one of the reasons they're charging so much is because they can. It's very interesting. You know, one of the things I've done for years is try to get reimbursement for new medical procedures and products. And in the month of March with the CARES Act, it was amazing the amount of money that the government said must be paid on these tests. So the number of companies that really didn't have any business saying, I've got a test and here, I've just made it for you. They were literally are coming everywhere because the money was there. And um, it just shows you what happens when a dollar, you know, when they say we're going to pay 120 or et cetera for these tests. Mind you, in the beginning, it was about $4 and some odd cents, you know, so it's really gone up. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. And people are, you know, and I'm sure it's like, what will the market bear? So personally, unless I'm symptomatic, I'm not going to. And and because 
uh, what they say, 40% of the people that spread it are actually non-symptomatic, um, I'm going to make the assumption I'm trying not to spread germs or spread the virus. Okay, gotcha. Uh, y- you know, one last question, and we're down to about a minute and a half, but there's this concept of, of herd immunity, right? And, yeah. and a lot of people talking about, we've got to build herd immunity, so everybody just needs to get out there, and we're just going to have to deal with this. Um, thoughts? No, I'm not a big one on herd immunity for a virus for two reasons. One, look at the death rate in Sweden. And even if they continue to propose herd immunity is going to help the population over time, I don't think it is. All one has to do is think about how many times you've had the flu, how many times you've had an immunization for the flu, which we know works. I think a good year is 50% of the time. Uh, I don't think we're going to see herd immunity in this one. It just doesn't seem to be, at this point, the way this virus responds. Okay. Uh, how far out do you think we are from really knowing what we don't know? And will we ever? Well, you know, the one thing I'm really impressed with is a few centers are really asking good questions and they're trying to do good science. The problem is in your early phases of research, you usually don't have everybody peeking under the covers like they are right now. So I think by end of year or mid next year, we're going to know a lot more than we do now. But are we going to have a vaccine that works for a large portion of the population? I am not optimistic. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, it's a new world. Um, As businesses reopen, 20 seconds left, (laughs) by the way, on the show about um, as businesses reopen, any advice for them? I'll tell you what we're going to do for our company. We're going to limit the number of people in the office at any particular point in time. We are going to be taking temperatures when people walk in. I have been purchasing masks. It's only the surgical kind of mask, not the N95s. People are going to be wearing gloves, and we're going to actually going to have a timing on hand washing. So I'm going to turn everybody into uh, people who are really paying attention to it. We we can't afford people to get sick. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you, Leah Amir, for joining us today. I so greatly appreciate appreciate it. I am Amanda LaPlante. This has been Get Real to Heal on 92.9 FM. I'm not here to sell anything. I just want to keep you safe and help you feel better about this situation. So if there's anything I can do to help, reach out, amandalaplante.com. Make it a great day.